Hello, my magical friends. My name is Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 41st time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. Before we jump into the news and so on this week, I wanted to mention that as a new month will start, I will be doing some extra stuff. I usually update on Ko-fi and in the Patreon-only Discord channel for the month around this time, but I will be making the announcement over on the Daily Zeitgeist this Friday for this month's coming episodes. Also, as this weekend is the first of the month, I will be playing Six Degrees of Magical Girls on Sunday on my personal Twitter. For anyone unfamiliar, this is where people submit non-Magical Girl franchises and I connect them to Magical Girl franchises. It's called Six Degrees because that's the traditional thing, but it really usually only takes two on average. Now, let's move on to what I've been watching as well as some Magical Girl news. So as always, I'm in the middle of several shows, but uh, for the sake of time, I'm only going to discuss stuff I've finished watching and reading. Of course, if you're watching Tropical Rouge Precure, we've gotten our mid-season cure for the year, and it's been very exciting. So I'm having no trouble staying caught up with that series. (laughs) And next is the second episode of Artist Witch which is the YouTube-hosted series about a mysterious witch in deepest Harajuku who helps inspire people's inner artist. The schedule has been unclear as to actual episode releases, but the second episode dropped and was just as interesting as the first. And they both have English captions, so I do recommend you check both episodes out if you haven't already. Next, I finished Assault Lily Bouquet. So this is a sci-fi heavy battle heroine series with very mild magical elements adapted from a game, and it's also very charming. I was hooked immediately, but just couldn't get the time to finish it up. So I finally got to finish it, and it was just a very lovely finale. I will definitely be revisiting this series in the future, and I probably will end up talking about it on the podcast at some point. Finally, I finished the third season of Sailor Moon, which is Sailor Moon Super, also known as Sailor Moon S. I think it was because of the release schedule of the US dubs, but I had never actually watched this season at all. It's a big one with the introduction of Uranus, Neptune, and Saturn, and I enjoyed it a lot, but to be honest, I wasn't expecting otherwise. For anyone wondering, the Eternal movies are finally going to be released at home in Japan this week on Usagi's birthday, June 30th, so I should hopefully be able to rent those soon. Now for what I've been reading. I caught up completely with two more webcomics, Shattered Starlight and Miracle Sakura. The former is about an adult magical girl in a story set in Montreal, While the latter is set in Japan, though the artist is from Alaska, the school environment feels very Western to me. Still, both are beautifully drawn and very intriguing. If anyone knows what's going on with Miracle Sakura, I'd love to hear because it's definitely not finished. But I can't find evidence of the artist Aurora being online since last year. 
And I'm kind of worried about her because since everything has been just absolutely dreadful since the pandemic started, that being said, I can't find evidence of the worst happening either. So just if you know anything, I would really love to hear because maybe I missed something. I'm not sure. So moving on to news. Sailor Moon Crystal is coming to Netflix. My guess, Eternal was probably a test to see just how good an investment this adaptation would be for Netflix as a service, and it proved to be very much so. So congratulations to all of you who can start watching Crystal now over there. The Eternal movies marked the fourth story arc of the series, so there's just one more arc to go, and that's all very exciting. Next. Blue Reflection, the video game series that has been recently adapted as Blue Reflection Ray, is getting some continuations. So the adaptation is currently at the halfway point as the mid-season finale was last week. So they announced the new opening theme artist as well as characters that are coming soon. If you're in the US, you can watch the series on Funimation. Unfortunately, the Blu-ray release in Japan has been cancelled, and they said it's for various reasons, so who knows what it could be specifically, but yeah. <laughs> but still, uh, new games are coming, so Blue Reflection Sun will be a smartphone game, and Blue Reflection Tai will be released for home consoles and PC, and the latter will also be released in English under the title Blue Reflection Second Light, so there's that. And thank you a lot to former guest Chrono for sharing this news with me. Last but not least, 90s magical girl Wedding Peach has come back. Kind of. So Love Angel Century Wedding Apple is an online visual novel being released on the website Tap Novel. There are five love angels battling against devils to save love. The Tumblr Hot Water and Milk has broken down a lot of stuff about the characters and story that's in English. So I'll link to that in the show notes. If you're interested in more information, you can check that link. And thank you to former guests of the podcast, Nan, for sharing this news with me. Let's move on to today's topic. It's Pretty Cure Week, and today we'll be going into the 15th anniversary season, Hagutto Precure, from 2018. Being a major anniversary season, there is a lot to discuss, but also the things unique to the season are very fun as well. The major themes are time, vocations, grief, and family. My guest Sasha is an internet friend, a fellow translator, and someone I love discussing magical girls with. So when I asked her to be on and she suggested this series, I was super psyched to finally watch this series for the first time. This show has a lot of twists, and I do try to spoil the warn, but this might be an episode where you should watch the series beforehand if you really don't want any spoilers going in. Precure has various directors over the years. This particular season was directed by Junichi Sato, a famed magical girl powerhouse creator, as well as Akifumi Zako. So uh, Sato recently had a public discussion about writing stories for girls, and I will link to that in the show notes as well. Some warnings before we get into the conversation. There's a lot of discussion about things like childbirth and childcare, 
as well as relationships between mothers and children. And generally, this is suggesting cis women in particular. I know even for me, simply editing this podcast was a little rough for that reason. So just keep that in mind. While there are no relationships between adults and children this season, thank goodness, I know a lot of people who are uncomfortable with interactions between the main villain and the main cure for spoiler reasons, as well as between the main fairy and the baby, also for spoiler reasons that we actually don't talk about today. So again, while this sort of relationship dynamic doesn't actually come to fruition at any point in this series, I wanted to point out that for people who find this particular topic triggering or uncomfortable, there are scenes in the series that can also make people uncomfortable. So just if you're watching the show for the first time, please be mindful of that. I just wanted to address that quickly before we get into the main chat, because that is not something that we have as an interpretation as we discuss this episode. You know, things get very complicated when you have a show with time travel and people interacting with younger versions of people from their past. I really love the season, and I hope you do too, so please enjoy this conversation with Sasha about Hug Precure. Today we are going to be talking about the 15th season of Precure, known as Hug Precure or Hug the Precure, and I'm very excited for our guest today. Can you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Sasha. Um, I go by she, her, and uh, yeah, that's about all I can say about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yes, and you're a big time Magical Girl fan. We talk about Magical Girls all the time together. What is your history with Magical Girls? So, I'm an old woman. (laughs) (laughs) When I was eight years old, it was actually when Sailor Moon was on TV. And I watched a couple of episodes of it and became completely obsessed. I recorded every single time it was on air. And at one point, we had this, this tiny little shop. So at the time, I was living in Kansas. So not a whole lot of places where you can get like tons of anime stuff back in this was like early 2000s late 90s Mm -hmm. but we had this tiny little comic shop and there they had the subtitled version of the sailor moon s movie oh okay and i i watched that and was like so wowed that i was like oh my gosh is there more like this and of course later on sailor moon did get canceled or not really canceled but they stopped dubbing it Sure, yeah. For a while, and then eventually Cloverway picked it up with Sailor Moon S and Super S. But yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, is there more of this? And discovered that there was a whole bunch more in Japanese. So I started watching Sailor Moon in Japanese, and then I said, well, what else do we got? And then I found Wedding Peach. I found Hime-chan's Ribbon. I found Akazuki Chacha. I found all kinds of stuff. A super Pig. Mm-hmm. And it just became this huge obsession for me. And how did you find these series? Because a lot of these never made it to the U.S. So this was way, way, way back in the day when it was just impossible to find anything. I don't even remember where I found them, but they were like 360p real player files that I had found. Oh my goodness, yeah. 
Yeah, way, way, way back in the day. And that was like the only way that you could find them unless they had actually gotten licensed, like something like Magic Knight Ray Earth or mm-hmm. Cardcaptor Sakura. So yeah, I just became obsessed. And I don't even remember everything that I watched back then, but oh my goodness. <laughs> There's a lot out there, but it sounds like you're able to get really deep really really quickly because those are a lot of like deep cuts even now. A lot of people haven't watched those shows in the States, I think. Yeah, it was one way that I did find a bunch of them was actually they used to have a long, long time ago. I'm just really dating myself today. <laughs> they had these things called kiss dolls that were based on just standard kisekai. Mm-hmm. And I went crazy with those just little dress up dolls. And on there, they had them divided up by series. And mm-hmm. I would find a dress up doll from like a magical girl series. And I'd be like, "Ooh, what's that? So I check it out and see what I could find. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Um, do you collect dolls? Um, I collect more of the stuffed animals now, but oh, back okay. then, my goodness, I had all of the like the old Bandai Sailor Moon dolls that had come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish that I had kept them because they're worth a lot of money now. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I think the only one I have left is um, I have an old tuxedo mask doll and I have the Sailor Mars doll. Oh, okay. Was she your favorite? No. (laughs) (laughs) She she actually wasn't. So I don't know why I had her. But Hmm. yeah, when I was growing up, they kind of like I kept changing who my favorite because first it was Sailor Jupiter and then it was Sailor Mercury. And then like towards like the end of my obsession, I became just really obsessed with Sailor Venus. Interesting. I see. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did you get into pre-care? So I taught in Japan for a little bit. I went over in 2010 and I was teaching a preschool kindergarten kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And all the kids kept talking about pretty cure. I was like, what is this pretty cure thing? And I kind of decided that I was going to watch whatever my kids were watching just to, you know, have something to talk to them about. Sure. So I watched Pretty Cure. I watched Common Writer O's, and I don't remember which Super Sentai was airing at the time, but I watched <laughs> a little bit of that as well. I'm kind of a completionist, so I was like, well, I'm not going to start with Heart Catch, even though that's what's airing right now. I'm actually mm-hmm. going to go all the way back to the beginning and watch from there. And <laughs> I finished a lot faster than I thought I would because I became more obsessed with it than my kids were. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely a mood. Yeah, I did definitely catch up to Heart Catch, of course. Mm -hmm. And now I'm where I am now, and I've watched every episode. Yeah, I can speak from experience. I didn't teach very young kids myself, but to have so many uh, students that like Precure, and then you try to talk to them about it, and you realize, oh my god, you're the adult that knows way more about Precure than they do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was a little embarrassing, and um, I do remember, like, at least one teacher did tease me about it, and I was like, please, I can't help it. It's just, I love the sparkles. Yeah. So, what do you think it was that appealed to you so much at the beginning? Naturally, like, one of the big reasons why is just, I love magical girls, and Mm -hmm. I always have. But a big thing is that Fetario Pretty Cure had... It was so different from a lot of the magical girls that I'd grown up with because it really was that back in the day, they didn't really do a whole lot of hand-to-hand combat. 
And Pretty Cure was definitely like an action series and a magical girl series. Right. And I was just shocked at how strong Nagisa and Honoka were. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, I was continuously shocked at how beautiful the animation kept getting mm-hmm. and how in-depth the characters were getting. And just, I was shocked. I was completely blown away. Yeah, it, it definitely is very special in that way, I think, compared to other series. And that must be why it's still going after all this time. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah. You wanted to talk about Hug Precure specifically, though. So why do you love Hug Precure in particular? So Hug Precure, when it was airing, I remember seeing episode four, where Homare tries to become a pretty cure and fails. Mm-hmm. That episode was so shocking to me that I was honestly surprised mm-hmm. how well I could connect with that kind of feeling. And then having that coupled with the next episode where she becomes curatoire, it was so inspiring to me that from that moment on, I kind of just became a hug loyalist. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, this show cannot do anything wrong. Everything about this is going to be incredible. And as time went on, it really did just keep wowing me time and time again. Yeah, I was here. I was teaching and I couldn't watch this season at the time because I was teaching on Sundays. So I kind of like end up completely missing this series at the time. Uh-huh. But I loved all the designs, like characters looked super cute. I loved Hana's bangs. Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know the story behind the bangs uh, until I actually watched episode one, but I loved that they were so different. And yeah, just like the, the whole style and the baby and everything. I remember trying to understand what was going on at least a little bit because of my students. But also like, I remember I even had adult students asking like, is there a character with her own baby in this season. I was like, mm, I don't know if it's her baby, but actually. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a very interesting thing. And, you know, the color palette is very different this season. It's so much more pastel, especially compared to the season before, um, Precure a la Mode, which had very, very bright colors. So it, it was very intriguing to see like all the pastel and, and so on. It's very like lacy and very detailed character designs and stuff. But yeah, it's a very interesting series in that there are definitely a lot of things that are an homage to past Precure seasons. Absolutely. And there are also some things that make me think about Magical Girls in general. Certain things that are not exactly old hat for Magical Girls, but something we've seen before. Of course, so like the first thing being that there is a baby, which we've kind of had before in Precure, in Mahot Sky Precure. There was a little bit of that, but not as much as in this season. Yeah. But that kind of thing definitely has been in previous Magical Girl series as well. The idea of like taking care of a baby. Yeah. I think the the closest we've had to any character like Hagutan was, you know, like Chiffon in Fresh Pretty Cure or Ai-chan in, in Doki Doki Pretty Cure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Hachan was definitely the closest we've had to like a human baby. Yeah. (laughs) She herself wasn't human either. (laughs) Yeah, I think the thing about this season is that it was like actually about how to take care of a baby, which also is reminding me a little bit of Ojemajo Doremi Shark, the second season. 
Absolutely, yes. Which also is like actually trying to discuss how to raise a child. There's also, I still have to watch more episodes of it, but um, there's the, I think it's from 1992 or 93, Mama's a Fourth Grader is another one like that. Uh-huh. That series is a little different. It's not exactly a magical girl series, but that one is similar in that there's like a, a baby that comes from the future and it turns out it's similarly actually the baby of the main character. Yep. She's still a child, you know. So it's like that, I think that was kind of popular at the time, but I'm not sure I still doing research on that series but yeah it's like that kind of thing is you know it's happened before basically in other stories but it's been a while since we've seen that in magical girls in the for recent sure years. Yeah. yeah yeah so we have yeah baby from the future and we also have a fairy character from the future who becomes a hot guy who runs a shop so something we've seen before in pre-cure <laughs> yep yep yeah. Yeah, we have, you know, this kind of look at time and the future and destiny. So it's a very interesting series overall. And uh, how do we summarize this series for anyone who hasn't managed to watch it yet? The natural thing that people do tend to say for like the main themes for it is the idea of, like you said, the future and time. And they, of course, say careers is one of the big things about the series. Sure, yeah. But to me, it really does feel like that idea of the future mm -hmm. in general is the main concept of it. This idea of the future, whether it's 2046 or something, or mm -hmm. if it's just tomorrow. Yeah. Which we'll find, you know, as in one of the reasons that they have their powers is the Aspawawa, the power of tomorrow. Yeah. Um. Mm. It's just this idea of moving forward hmm. into the future that, to me, I would say that's the main heart of Hug Pretty Cure. Yeah, that would make sense to me. I would agree. Yeah, it's interesting because in doing that, it also is constantly referencing so many things about past precure. So it's kind of like yes. embracing the past and moving on into the future, I would say. Absolutely, which... Yeah, that completely ties in with the, the whole theme of the entire show. Yeah, definitely. And having Hug in the name, it's very much about embracing things, which I think is really nice as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's get into some of the characters. So in total, we end up with uh, five Precure this season. Uh, for main Precure, I should say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll start with uh, Cure Yell, or Hana, who is our main character, our pink, this year. Please tell me about your thoughts on Hana. So, Hana is my number one favorite pretty cure of all time. Hmm. Everything about her was just extremely inspiring. I love the whole backstory about how, when she was growing up, she didn't speak out very much for herself. She got bullied pretty hard, but she always believed in what was right, which is a common, you know, pink character trait. Sure. With Hana, the thing that really made her stand out in a similar way as Nozomi and Pretty Cure 5 is that she always had that desire to change. And mm. sometimes that desire to change was a good thing, like when she decided to transfer to the new school and decided to completely recreate herself. And sometimes it was a bad thing, like in the episode where they have that food fair and she's working at the takoyaki place. Mm -hmm. 
her whole feeling was that she needed to change herself because she was looking at how impressive Homari was and how impressive Saya was. And, you know, this takoyaki guy was being real mean to her. And she was just <laughs> like, why can't I do anything right? Mm-hmm. I am just a complete wreck. So I thought it was really fascinating that that desire to change and that desire to become the Hana she wants to be both became a good thing and a bad thing from time to time. I thought it was a really brilliant character trait for her. Yeah, yeah. And also just really good for, again, kids to see. Even for their heroes, they're not always going to be perfect, but that's okay. Yeah. It was really inspiring the way that they did do that episode of I can't even transform because I'm just so out of it. I don't believe in myself anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And seeing how she recovers from that is, again, I keep going back to the central theme of, of moving towards your future, regardless mm-hmm. of the bad things that happen. Yeah. It was a very good message towards kids that even if you do feel like everything is over, Oshimaida, mm-hmm. or that you don't have anything to look forward to, or that you're not good enough, eventually, with time, you can pick yourself back up again and you can believe in yourself again. Definitely. Yeah. She's really great. I love her. I love her relationships with the other characters as well, uh, especially um, her grandmother (laughs) is so cute. Yes. That episode where they get to spend time with her grandmother was very, very charming, but uh, even just like her relationship with the other cures and Mm -hmm. like her family and everything is all really, really uh, sweet. Like you said, she's uh, very similar to Nozomi, like at the start of the series. She still doesn't know what she wants to be in the future, which, again, is actually a lot more common than most people want to think. Yep. A lot of kids are, especially kids, are under so much pressure to choose something. Her two friends throughout the series, Saya and Homare, are these girls who had these dreams very early on. And so she probably also feels more pressure from that as well. Yep. Yeah, it's it's very much about like taking the next step into tomorrow and then and, and into the future. So, yeah. <laughs> I can go on about Hana for ages and ages and ages. But <laughs> yeah, she just is very inspiring. And I love the way that she not only does go through that change and believing in herself, but mm-hmm. no matter what, she has always believed in her friends, regardless yes. of what happens. Yeah. That is just, oh. It, it mm-hmm. touches my heart. <laughs> yeah, and she is very high energy, and she is the cure of, of energy. She is here to cheer everyone on, and that's why her yep. whole motif is a cheerleader motif, which is super cute. <laughs> yes, it is. It's yeah. so cute. All of their costumes are based in different vocations, as it were, but yeah, that particular choice is very nice, I think. <laughs> Yeah. And definitely also ties into uh, later events in the series. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to Saya, our second cure, Cure Orange. Saya is actually my favorite design out of the entire group. Hmm. And probably, uh, other than Amy Lulu, she's actually got my favorite transformation sequence as well. It's just so beautiful. Oh, yeah, definitely. But Saya was another really interesting character in that idea of change. Because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed her character arc about how she was expected to essentially um, follow in her mom's footsteps. Mm-hmm. And as she went on, she was like, I don't know if this is really what I want. I don't know if I can follow in my mom's footsteps. But mm. secondly, if I even want to follow in my mom's footsteps. 
Yeah. And seeing how her character kind of goes through that struggle of, well, I'm supposed to do this, so I feel like I have to, mm -hmm. to I need to tell mom that I'm not going to do it because I found a different dream. Yeah. I really thought that was fantastic, especially the episode where she does kind of get that inspiration. Mm -hmm. That was another episode that I could go on and on about how important <laughs> it was. Yes. So it's funny because our last Precure episode was about, yes, Precure 5. So we talked about Cotton, who was the blue cure of that season, and how she kind of goes through some similar story arcs in a way, including what she wants to be. Though I would say that Asaya's is a little bit more specific. You know, she also wants to be a doctor, which happens time and time again with blue cures. Yep. <laughs> yeah, she more specifically wants to be like an obstetrician. Yes. Yeah, she wants to, you know, assist with childbirth and all of that. So it, it's a very interesting, very specific kind of thing. Yeah, like you said, the episode where she figures out that's what she wants to do is really nice. And um, the episode where she finally actually gets around to telling her mother is also a very good episode because it does feel like she started out acting very early because her mother was an actress. And that's a natural thing, I think, for a lot of a lot of families in show business. But it looks like she did enjoy it sometimes, but it was never like her main thing. Right. Absolutely. It was a lot of family pressure. I think that she did enjoy acting to an extent. Mm -hmm. But I think that it really was that pressure that made her say, well, I don't know if this is really for me. Mm. <laughs> because yeah, not so. only did she have that expectation that I have to follow in my mom's footsteps, but also mm -hmm. it was the expectation of I have to be as good as my mom was. <laughs> yeah. Which a little bit too much pressure on a kid, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, from what we see in the series, it is kind of suggested that she is very good at acting. She could be as good as her mother if she put that effort into it. But yeah, it wasn't necessarily her happiness. So that's more important. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to our third cure, Hobare, or cure Etoile. We've already mentioned a little bit, but uh, let's talk about her a bit more. Yeah, cure Etoile probably has one of the strongest starts for a pretty cure. Mm -hmm. Her introductory episodes were really, really beautifully handled, not just in terms of the content, but also in terms of the animation. Yes. My goodness, the animation in episode four was just astounding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't remember who it was that did the sequence where she's climbing up the Oshimaida. Oh. Yeah, in episode four, it starts when Homare has failed at getting her Mirai crystal. Mm -hmm. or her future crystal sorry from that moment on when Hana sees Homare just crying on the ground there is just this absolutely beautifully animated sequence of Hana saying like I don't know what you're going through right now but no matter what you just can't give up you can do this just mm -hmm. as long as you don't give up and for a beautifully acted, beautifully animated, beautifully executed scene, mm. that episode has kind of stood out to me as mm -hmm. one of my favorite episodes in Pretty Cure. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Homare's dream is around ice skating, and you know she's already yep. an ice skater, and there's a lot of pressure to animate ice skating beautifully because, like, ice skating <laughs> is supposed to look beautiful. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a very important aspect as well but the episode director is uh yuta tanaka who has done okay a lot of stuff since yes 
the animation directors there are two. There's Kodai Watanabe and Nako Yamoka, but they don't have pages up, so I don't know if they've done anything else. It does look like this was Kodai Watanabe. Okay, yeah. I wondered why they chose figure skating, and I was like thinking about like because like Yuri on Ice was on around this time, and that was yeah. very big. <laughs> Even that was not as well animated all the time as Precure was this season, in terms of those scenes and so on. Yeah, this season was insane. It's just <laughs> absolutely insane. Yeah, um, just phenomenal work. Absolutely phenomenal work. The voice acting, the music, the animation, the direction, it, just, it, it still floors me to this day. Yeah. Yeah, this episode and like that particular storyline with Homada is very interesting. She is someone who has kind of already seen that like success very early on. And so that causes more pressure, of course, to continue on. And um, how do you continue after you peak so young? Yes, exactly. Learning how to get back up after failing, finally. Homare's whole arc is kind of like our peek into what the themes of the entire series are going to be. Hmm. Because yeah. she does go through that period of just saying, I give up, I'm not doing this ever again. Mm-hmm. And her becoming the pretty cure is her finally saying, no, I'm not going to give up. In fact, I want to continue doing this thing that I've been doing. Yeah, exactly. And she does get her dream back after all that time. She does finally manage to become not just a pretty cure, but she gets her dream back of being a figure skater. And she continues that into her future as well. Yeah. There is a lot to say about Homare. I did really enjoy her arc with Harry. Mm-hmm. I really loved... The fact that they had this whole thing about her having this crush on Harry and it not panning out. Yeah. It's not a message that you see happen a whole ton Mm -hmm. in kids' shows. But the fact that not only did it just not pan out, but she still got along with Harry after it not panning out. Yeah. Yeah. It was essentially a message of it's okay to be rejected. Mm -hmm. It's okay there is a future afterwards and you don't have to dislike the person afterwards Mm -hmm. for turning you down or any of that it was a very maturely handled situation that they did with harry and homare yeah so harry is our fairy like we mentioned earlier who just again like in yes precure five he becomes the shopkeeper and is like he calls himself hot. I don't know how much he's supposed to be hot to other characters. <laughs> That's his words, you know. So he's running this like fashion shop and stuff. And yeah, it's like a regular thing for all the girls to hang out there at Beauty Harry, which I personally believe is, in terms of its name, is a reference to Cutie Honey in terms of how it looks. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd never even thought about that, but it probably could be a reference. Yeah, it just looks, it looks very similar, like, when you write it out, so. Toei did Cutie Honey, didn't they? The the kids' version of it? At least some of it has been done by Toei, yeah. Far from the first reference to Cutie Honey in Precure, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's running this shop, uh, so it's very, very similar to previous seasons, but especially, yes, Pre and the Nuts House. You would think it would make sense for him to have a romance with one of the cures, which is what happened in Yes Free. But instead, we have this situation with Homare where she is into him and he's like, I'm really sorry. I, I do not have the same feelings for you. But they are still friends and it's he's still cheering her on and she still feels motivated by that and everything. 
she is given the chance to cry as well, which is good. Yes. Yeah. Really important stuff. I really, really liked the way that they handled that. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was a worth in still telling him and getting that feeling out there, even if it did mean getting rejected. It mm -hmm. was a really just beautifully handled message. Definitely. It's very important to see that for sure, because I think that that is a very common way for people to feel like it's the end of the world. Like the person I like mm -hmm. doesn't like me back. <laughs> if you're a romantic person, that's one of the first times that you kind of start to feel that uh, heartbreak. Most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Ayumi from A Future. If you don't want spoilers for the mid-season part of the team and so on, this would be a really good place to stop listening. So shall we talk about Lulu and Emidu? Yeah, I don't think that it's possible to really separate the two. They would not want it either. <laughs> exactly. In the show itself, they really just do not separate. These two need to stay together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting because they are very separately introduced at first. Yes. I remember thinking for a while, like, oh, how are these two going to become friends? Because I knew they were going to become friends. And I really enjoyed that character development and that friendship. Yeah, Lulu is our first android precure. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think something that I think this season seems to have kicked off now is the idea that anyone can become precure, something that is still running up until this season. <laughs> yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> anyone can be precure, and that really starts this season where we have Lulu, who is an android, and she is evil, something that we have seen in previous seasons of precure, right? The redemption cure. Mm -hmm starting all the way back in splash star even if toei won't they won't acknowledge them <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah definitely yeah redemption cures are a big thing and i do think it's interesting because yeah like in terms of ones that have the name cure it starts at first precure and i noticed mm -hmm. that in her introductory episode where she joins a school and like lives with hana and stuff she is described as fresh and mysterious. I was like, oh, I know what you're yes, doing Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. So that was very interesting. She comes in separately through this route. And then we also have Emidu, who is a friend of Hana's younger sister. And so she's introduced in a different way, just naturally. And yeah, I think that they're very interesting uh, separately though they don't want to be separated because once they become friends, it's like a lifelong thing. Most definitely, yeah. They always refer to themselves in the Japanese as the Dekoboko combo, mm -hmm. which really, really, it, it does describe them to a T. Just a very <laughs> at odds, kind of the odd couple kind of situation. Emiru is completely terrified of any bad outcome, mm -hmm. which in her own way is that feeling of not being able to move forward because mm -hmm. if she moves forward, something dangerous might happen. Yeah. And Lulu is essentially literally telling her the percentage chance of that happening <laughs> to encourage her to stop worrying so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very funny to see like that. She definitely feels like she's a little trapped I don't know, but it's also because of how she looks like she is very, I mean, she is younger, but she's also generally very childish. And yes, 
that's very interesting, um, especially looking at her family. Her parents are kind of in their own world. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> so she has a lot of pressure, social pressure, that's mostly inflicted by her brother, Masato, who we'll get to later, for sure. Mm-hmm. That like she cannot move forward because of this like pressure to do things that uh, he says are ladylike or not do things that he thinks are not ladylike. It's very frustrating for her. She kind of has this, like, not like an actual cage, but, you know, that kind of idea. Like, she is being prevented from, like, being her full self. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Lulu is the person that brings her out of that and, you know, helps her to get to a possible future. And in the same way, Aminu does the same thing for her as well. Mm -hmm. She shows her that there are possibilities outside of what is logical. Yeah. We do see that even after she becomes a cure, we see that Lulu is a little bit freaked out about the fact that she can't write music the same way that Emidu can mm-hmm. because she's having a hard time putting her heart into it. And Emidu kind of breaks her out of that feeling of having to do everything logically and perfectly. Mm-hmm. So in a way, they both teach each other ways to move forward for different reasons. Yeah, definitely. Again, like you said, you know, they're very different from each other, but they balance each other out in this way that I think they start to feel like they cannot be without each other. Yeah. They become precure together. And that also is very, very touching because in their development as characters, they both realize that they want to become precure. But as far as I know, only one of them can become precure because there's only one Mirai pad left. And that episode is very, very touching because they're both so desperate to transform together. They can't do it alone. Yep. And that power finally gives them the miracle of the pad just like splitting in two. It's like, okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, the future basically said, all right, fine. You've you've convinced me. (laughs) Yeah. So their power, their belief in each other and their friendship gets them to transform together and it's very cute and they're both like very uh, lolita inspired costumes mm-hmm. and so on yeah and so they become cure amour and cure macheri even now like a lot of people comment on the name macheri as a cure name because mm-hmm. it definitely breaks the mold <laughs> yeah it kind of does <laughs> yeah i guess it opens up the world for how to name a cure Absolutely. I mean, we had <laughs> characters like Milky Rose and Shiny Luminous and stuff. So I'm like, you know what? We could accept a Mashiri. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they're they're very cute together. And um, I love their powers. I love that they have like this uh, a guitar. Mm-hmm. Again, looking back to previous seasons of Precure, having a guitar again. But yeah, so they're pretty awesome. And do you want to talk a bit about Hagutan, our baby character? Oh, Hagutan. <laughs> Probably to me, Hagutan is the cutest of the baby fairies that we've ever had. Yeah. Not just because she is a human baby, but also just she feels very real. Mm-hmm. I have worked with early childhood education. I've worked with kids as young as you know, under one years old. Yeah. Hagutan felt like a baby to me. Like she actually felt <laughs> very much like an actual baby. I thought that she mm-hmm. was very, very cute. And I loved her backstory. Yeah. Because of course we see her throughout most of the series as Hagutan. 
But the more that you find out about her um, and when you see her backstory with Harry and Cure Tomorrow and all of that, it's very touching and heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah, definitely. She definitely reminds me of Chibiusa. Oh, yeah, definitely. But with more time shenanigans because Chibiusa got the same (laughs) same age. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because... When, once you realize what's going on, it's like, okay, sure, that makes sense. But the idea that going back in time turned her back into a baby is very, it's a very interesting premise, to be yes. sure. Yeah. I really love the concept of, I need to go back and get my mom. Like, <laughs> it's such kid logic. Like, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to go get mom. <laughs> yeah. Literally traveled back in time. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and it's very interesting because she calls Hana Mama the whole series. Yep. <laughs> In a way where it's like, you think, oh, it's just, you know, she's a baby and she doesn't know. But no, she knows. <laughs> she 100% yeah. knows and she's like, that's my mom. Yeah, even if she doesn't know herself yet. So it's very interesting for sure. You know, all the characters are coming back from the future for one reason or another. And it's a very interesting kind of situation where thinking about the possibilities of the future and having characters come from a future, I should say, not the future, but a future. Yep. yep. <laughs> and um, trying to change the past. I loved her so much. Like there are people out there who don't like babies. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't personally feel that way, but I know there are people who don't like babies. And so I think that that part might get annoying for people like that. Sure. Yeah. But I loved it a lot. I love babies. So I was like, yes, give me all the babies. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned earlier, it's a lot like Ojamajo Doremi Sharp with Hanatan. It's like if you combined Hanatan with Chibiusa and that's how you get Hugtan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a very interesting concept for sure. To be honest, I kind of already knew she was Cure Tomorrow before I started watching the series, but it was kind of fun to figure out how they introduced that concept. For sure, yeah. I guess we're going to probably get into a little bit more more spoilery stuff uh, as we talk about Henri. He's a very important supporting character in this series, I think. Henri is quite possibly one of my favorite side characters in all of Pretty Cure. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Kaoru. <laughs> I do love you, Kaoru, but also, my gosh, Henri is such a well-written and fascinating character. Hmm. Not just in his presentation with Cure Anfani, but also just as character in general. Yeah. Really loved his introduction, where he was essentially kind of sowing the seeds of doubt in Hana Mm -hmm. about how like well what do you do you just cheer them on okay I guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah he's also such an interesting character for like his own desire to like kind of break down gender stereotypes and so on yes he was very much unafraid to be exactly who he is no matter how that bothers anyone else I also thought it was interesting We've had a few other uh, half-Japanese characters in Precure, but he's like the first one that really talks about it in a very direct way when he is first introduced. 
for anyone who doesn't know, there are different terms that people use for half Japanese people. And, you know, we have different comfort levels between us about like which ones we like. But in this case, he actually is very specific about which term he prefers. I don't remember which episode it was, but in one of his first episodes, it's revealed that, oh, he is the child of a French person and a Japanese person. And so Hana asks if he is a hafu. And he says, no, I'm not half of anything. I am a double. So he uses w. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something it's like kind of a contested discourse thing we're not going to get into today. But I thought it was very interesting that they have him be very specific with that term and like be a bit more assertive in that way. And that kind of is also an introduction to his character in general. Again, like he's very confident in who he is in every aspect of that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why it was very easy for the Kurayasu Corporation to kind of weasel their way into his comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Because Henri knows who he is and what he wants to be. And as he gets older, um, they actually do have an episode where he expresses some level of gender dysphoria in that Mm -hmm. he is not comfortable with the fact that as he gets older, he's getting taller and his voice is getting deeper and all mm-hmm. of that. And yeah. it's very easy to see how the Cryos Corporation managed to say, well, if you don't want that to change, if you want to stay the way that you are, we got like one way we could help you out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, he like very early on, there's like a fashion show episode and he is like the mm-hmm. main model and the whole theme is... The fashion designer is very explicitly inspired by Precure and is saying girls can be heroes and boys can be princesses. It's a very beautiful episode. And he early on is like constantly a kind of a damsel in distress kind of character. And he's just like, oh, this is my role. It's fine. (laughs) He's constantly joking like, oh, I've been captured again. Help me, girls. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, when he does start to like feel that way, like, it's very heartbreaking because, of course, this is very natural to happen to, to many, many people. He's kind of afraid for what that means for, like, who he is, basically. In that episode, a big part of it is really that he doesn't want to be pinned down by other people's expectations. Yeah. Because in that point, they had the paparazzi, essentially, mm-hmm. kind of spying on him when he was helping Lulu with her collar. Yeah, Um, And being like, ooh, is this a new romance going on? And he very explicitly says, back off. I do not want people trying to box me in. I don't feel comfortable with that. Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting to see like that is a constant thing that he has to deal with because he is such a famous figure skater at this point. Mm -hmm. He also gets some help later from Masato, who we'll talk about in a minute. (laughs) I love him to pieces. Yeah, I was very surprised that I liked Masato because when he was first introduced, I was like, uh, I'm supposed to like this guy? Really? Okay. But (laughs) like, wow, this guy sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he was like one of the worst when he first appeared. But of course, Henri also helps to change all that, I think, in a very beautiful way. Sticking to Henri for a moment, he gets like the motivation from the cures after he goes dark and becomes an Oshimaida, like he is able to come back and defeat his own Oshimaida by becoming Kiranfini. And 
I was crying my eyes out at that episode. It was so beautiful. Like, of course, I knew it was coming because that episode, of course, was so huge at the time and was such mm-hmm. a big thing mm-hmm. for like the whole franchise, right? It was the first time a boy became a precure. It was very, very big. I think that it was just a very like a beautiful moment and of course that episode also ended up uh, later receiving an award for like it's a LGBTQ representation in Japan and I think that it was very much worth it once I watched it I was like oh yes this is huge for sure Absolutely I I still like tear up a little bit thinking about it cuz <laughs> it was just I remember seeing the preview from the week before and being like no way are they really gonna do this like oh my gosh are they actually gonna go for it and then when they did it was just like this awe-inspiring thing for me like oh my god I thought the day was never gonna come right so again this season came out right after Kira Kira Precure Mode where we almost had a boy Precure Oh, rest in peace, Kier Waffle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, we know for a fact, like, we have seen in the notes that there was going to be, there was a very big possibility of there being a cure that season. And, you know, I don't know why, but things failed there. And so, luckily, we were able to get in the next season this moment. And um, we'll talk about it more later. But basically, I'm under the impression that he could have joined the team and become a pre-cure if he wanted to. But he was very focused on his own dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He knew what he wanted out of life and he wasn't going to let anybody get in the way of that. So yes. like that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's wonderful. And I'm so happy he exists for like everything about him. And um, mm-hmm. it was such a big thing at the time that year. There was a whole incident with, uh, gosh, I need to find like the actual news articles about it, but there was like a, a hotel where uh, they had like the precure rooms and the, I think it was either Kamen Rider or Sentai, I don't know which. And they were very much gendering them and they had to officially apologize because there was a boy that wanted to be in the precure room and they had like denied him that. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I need to find that article. Cause I remember that being a thing at the time as well, but it was just like, you know, it was like a very basic thing. Like, People should know by now that there are boys that like Precure, like little boys, you know? Like, for me, it's like, of course, I've known them. I've known boys that like Precure, even like two-year-old boys, and they're so cute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wasn't there that one poll where it was asking little boys what they wanted to be when they grew up, and like a ton of them wrote Pretty Cure? I don't know if it was a ton of them, but it was definitely a significant amount, yeah, so... It is a thing that, yeah, there are boys that want to be Precure. And so Henri is this great, like, example. Like, yes, boys can be Precure too. And, um, yeah, you know, I'm sure in the future we will get a full season boy on the team. But for now, Henri is what we have. But it's it's really nice. I love Henri so much. <laughs> it's just so good. I, I love him. Yeah, actually, let's talk about Masato because we're on this topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Masato is uh, Emiru's older brother, and when we first see him, he is just this terrible force, like constantly pushing Emiru to deny herself the things she wants to do because they're not ladylike, and he is constantly butting heads with Henri, you know, being very concerned about the things he does that he considers too feminine, 
And Henri's like, whatever, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it all comes together when Masatoki comes and Oshimaida, and you know, he is definitely eaten up by his own issues with himself, really. It's like he's lashing out because of his own insecurities, which is something that is it's just like a smaller version of like the larger plot at hand, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Even though at this point he has not cured Anfani, Henri as himself is able to help Masato to become his true self, basically. After that, they're inseparable. <laughs> yeah, I think like one of the things that makes Masato so fascinating is Masato is another one of those characters who embodies change. Yeah. Because he himself was also very caged in by this idea of rigid social constructs. Hmm. Which is why he was so strict with Amiru being like, well, you can't call yourself a hero. You have to be a heroine. Right. You can't play the guitar because it's not ladylike. You can't do this or that. And with Henri, he's like, why are you wearing the girl's uniform? Why are you wearing a dress? What is with you? Stop doing that. And Henri's like, I'm doing it because I want to, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, obviously he doesn't say those words, but he's like, it's because I want to. And I think... Masato hadn't really thought about what he wants. Mm-hmm. I think he was one of those characters who did what was expected of him. And those very rigid social constructs to him gave him that framework of this is what is expected and you have to follow it. Mm-hmm. And Henri just completely blows that out of the water for him. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was probably the moment when he was like, I think I'm in love with you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, like many, I would say probably every season of Precure, there are always like things where you you have these sets of uh, characters who are written as very strong friends, but, you know, it doesn't take much to read them as more than friends. Mm -hmm. I would say in this season, that is strongest in Henri and Masato, for sure. Most definitely. It's very funny because like, I didn't expect it to be as much as it was, but it really is. Once they're together, they're almost like Lulu and Emidu, who I read as just being friends. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for me, Henri and Masato are like inseparable once they're together. (laughs) I always got the impression that like Emidu and Lulu were more like a sisterly kind of love. Yeah. Where with Masato and Henri, I was like, oh, they're really in love. Oh my goodness. Like they were very blatant with it. Towards the very end, when Henri is ice skating and he blows a kiss to the audience and Masato catches it. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, they're really being blatant about the fact that these two are in love now. Yeah, that was very interesting because like you said, you know, there are paparazzi that come and they're like trying to ask about his like love life. And Masato is the one who's like, nope, there's nothing to see here. Okay, go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like you said so that the blowing a kiss part is very interesting because in that scene like in the background are all these girls are like oh is Henri blowing a kiss to me and Masato's like I'm catching that kiss because I know who it's for you know exactly and in a way that also is respecting Henri's desire to keep his private life private because yeah. that blowing of the kiss um essentially is like okay well I'm not gonna completely publicize what we're doing but at the same time i know that you're directing this at me yeah so that was very interesting and it was a very like beautiful relationship between them whether you read it as just a friendship or as romantic 
you know, I love when a series changes my mind about a character, basically. And yes, that's what happened here <laughs> with Masato for sure. I really like was so shocked that when I first met him, like, wait, this is a guy that like everyone likes and thinks is with Henri. What's going on? But yeah, it was very um, beautiful. And again, it was like that kind of microcosmic thing where Henri's embrace of Masato is very similar to what happens at the end of the series as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's very nice. So I do want to talk about the villains. Unfortunately, there are so many, we cannot talk about all of them. But we're going to talk about like the two main villains here. Just in terms of, like I guess, the order of spoilers, let's start with Dr. Drown. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, again, we're many generals. So Dr. Drown doesn't appear until about, I want to say, like, a third of the way through the season. He's on 23, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so. So this is something I noticed just because I've also been watching Yes Pre at the same time, but his whole style reminds me a lot of Bloody from Yes Pre Cure 5. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about in that episode, but he also wears a top hat and is an older gentleman and has a slightly different uh, mode of uh, attack than the other generals in that season. But yeah, so Dr. Traum is, he's very interesting, and he's actually the one who created Lulu Amour. So he sees himself as her father, and she looks like his uh, daughter who passed away, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he essentially kind of made Lulu to help him cope with the grief of losing his daughter, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, so that's already something that's very interesting to think about, but he is still also one of the the baddies for a, a while. And it's a very interesting thing that I had to like do research to figure out because he was referencing time and time again that his name also means dream. Mm-hmm. That was something where I couldn't even figure out what language it was. It turns out it's German. It's from uh, Traumann or something in German. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but... <laughs> It's interesting because like the way his name is said, it's very similar to trauma. So for me, that was like, oh, that must be what they're referencing with his name. Yes, I had the exact same thought. Yeah. So somebody probably noticed, oh, this word for dream in German sounds like the English word for trauma. Let's do something with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, he's a very interesting character. I mean, this is a season where like, Every bad person turns good by the end. Yes. Which I really enjoyed seeing. And so he is no exception, but he has a hard time winning back the affection of his daughter, Lulu. So that was very funny. I really enjoyed the fact that even though he considered himself Lulu's dad, she was not super into it. She was Mm -hmm. like, um not very comfortable with him calling her uh, calling himself her dad and there mm-hmm. were several times where she's like no um don't i'm not gonna call you that no stop yeah uh, they had <laughs> a whole episode about him desperately trying to get her to acknowledge him as her dad and towards the end i don't think that was ever resolved i think that she actually did tell him i'm not comfortable with this and mm-hmm. i am not gonna refer to you like that which was a pretty impressive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's the Christmas episode, which is really funny because he dresses up like a green Santa. <laughs> yeah. 
he spends the entire episode trying to like give Lulu a gift and say, oh, you know, from father to daughter. There is a little bit of closure in that episode in that they hug each other and then she does call him father once. Yes. And he was like, oh, thank you. Can you say that again? And she's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, she denies that. And then she just like keeps backing away from him and like runs off. But it's a very interesting relationship in terms of that idea of like, uh, just because someone older than you says that you should be like much closer than you are, that doesn't mean that you have to give them what they're asking for, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think another thing that Hug Pretty Care does go into a lot is the idea of family and Mm -hmm. what makes a family. Definitely. Part of what made that so wonderful to me was that it was this idea of just because someone made you, like just because your mom or your dad made you, doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be your family. Absolutely. Which, you know, it may or may not have been intended, but I do think that's an important lesson for many kids to know because there are many, many kids who are going to grow up with a kind of bad situation with their parents from time to time. Yep. And that you can choose your own family. You do not have to just go with whoever is uh, blood related. It's like the full um, blood is thicker than water mm-hmm. quote. I don't remember the full quote, but essentially saying no blood may be thicker than water but blah 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 and essentially saying that you can choose i'm gonna look this up (laughs) it's the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb i think yes exactly yeah that's one of those things where like the shorthand is used in one way but the full quote actually means the opposite Mm -hmm. which is the fun part of english i think (laughs) yeah we have a bunch of those Um, don't we (laughs) yes we do But yeah, so you're right. So the idea of like a chosen family is uh, very strong in this season, I think. Most definitely. Very important, especially for kids. Let's talk about our big, big bad George. It's a very interesting character. George is probably one of my favorite Pretty Cure villains. Mm -hmm. He is so complex. And his motivations, to me, make him very, very human. I was really surprised at the direction that they took with him, but Mm -hmm. his motivations were very much human. And the more that you know about him and the more you understand where he comes from, the more you understand why he wants to stop time. Yeah. Because it's the reason that everybody in this series of why people will get motivated to become Oshimaida if they're not forced to. Yeah. You know, like Charlite or um, some of the other characters who are basically forced into it. But the characters who are joining his corporation in particular, all of them have this desire to stop time. And of course, when we're starting with the series, he keeps saying, well, it'll bring people eternal happiness. And you're like, really? You sure about that? Because I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, But when you know exactly what happened to him and what happened to all of his underlings, you do understand that it's this idea of there have been some really terrible things that these people have gone through, whether it's a breakup or being abused by your your coworkers or whether it's the loss of your daughter. All of these people have gone through something deeply, deeply hurtful. Mm -hmm. And 
what they feel is that before that horrible thing happened to them, they were happy. Right. And so their whole desire to stop time is to make sure that they retain that happiness before something bad happens again. Yeah, exactly. And that's such an understandable feeling, considering that a big part of this show, I think as we move on into all of the bigger bads, is grief mm -hmm. and moving past grief. Yeah. It's one reason why, like I said with Charlie, he becomes an Oshimaida because he really feels like his life is over because he's about to lose his job, he's about to lose his status, he's about to lose everything. Mm -hmm. With Popple, she feels like there's nothing worth living for anymore because her relationship ended so horribly. Mm -hmm. With Jelos, it was the same sort of situation, like everything's over because I'm not going to be beautiful, I'm not going to have this youth, etc., etc. Everybody's going to hate me when I'm no longer beautiful. Yeah. Every single character has this idea of what their happiness is, and they feel like if anything comes between that happiness to harm them again, it'll be the end, that they can't move past mm -hmm. it. And with George, he went through something so horrible. There may be some magazine scans, which I unfortunately haven't gotten around to read, uh, that reveal exactly what happened with George and Hannah, but it's very implied to me that Hannah must have died in the future. Yeah. And George cannot move past that. Mm -hmm. And knowing how Hannah is in the present, it's so understandable why someone might break down after losing someone that important because Hana is such a support to everybody around her and she always has wanted to be that mm -hmm. way. So even if it is, I heard the one rumor was that she never decided to transfer and so she lost her hope from the very start. Mm -hmm. I always got the impression that even if something like that had happened, she'd still be extremely supportive of everybody she cares about. Yeah, I think so. And so for George to lose somebody who was that supportive, I can only imagine how deeply that must have hurt him. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the logical conclusion is not, well, gee, I'm going to go and freeze time because nothing matters anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we wouldn't have a villain if he was a logical person. <laughs> like his motivation is extremely uh, understandable. Right. Mm -hmm. So sure, like in reality, yeah, most people cannot turn back time and whatever to like revisit the one that they lost. One thing that was very uh, interesting to me is I hadn't really thought of this until you just mentioned it, but I do believe that part of the motivation for him to go back in time is because he knew that he would be able to see her again. Mm hmm. Obviously, he is going back to get the future crystals and prevent the pretty cure from appearing again. But I think that a main motivation wasn't even just to get the future crystals. I really do think that he wanted to cling to that hope of just being able to see her again, even if she is not the same person that he knows. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, I feel like it's very interesting. I, I'm trying to remember how much I actually knew for sure. I kind of had a general idea of the ending with George and Hannah um, before I started watching the series. So it was very interesting to see their interactions where he's always so happy to see her, but he keeps his distance. Yes. I don't know. It's It's very interesting to think about, like, what that 
means. It's a very interesting motivation and, you know, again, very, very understandable. Yeah, he always stays away from her for the most part, but, like, it's clear that, like, she has an effect on him when they do interact. So that's why he's always so, like, happy to interact with her. Yeah. He's clearly remembering how she was in his past, her future. (laughs) So um, why don't we talk about some of the episodes? All right. So episode 11, I actually rewatched before we went on the podcast because I remembered it and definitely cried a lot. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I really want to remember this properly. Mm -hmm. Because I do have a little bit of problem with memory. So I rewatched it and it really was just as good as I remember. It was immediately after the episode with the food fair Mm -hmm. where Hana can't transform. Yes. And she feels like it's her fault that um, at the end of that, uh, Hugtan uses up all of her Aspalawa to protect Kiriel before uh, because she can't transform. Mm Mm-hmm. And because of that Hugtan, she passes out. Mm-hmm. And Hana is going through just horrible feelings of guilt and worthlessness and everything. And considers even giving up being a pretty cure because she thinks mm-hmm. she's not worthy. Mm. But her mom comes in and essentially, you know, comforts her and tells her things like that she is more wonderful than she gives herself credit for and that she can move past this and that she has the capability to change and all of that. And that no matter what happens, she's always going to love her. Yeah. And of course that feels great to hear from mom. Like (laughs) if you've ever had a pep talk from your mom like that, that is like the most wonderful feeling. And in this episode, Charlie has become an Oshimaida because of the abuse from his co-workers and how everybody has said, you know, this is your last chance. You don't get anything else after this. And Charlie inside the Oshimaida is constantly wondering, like, why am I so worthless? Why couldn't I do anything right? It's no wonder that they all turned on me. It's because I'm awful. I, I have no talents. I have no future. I have nothing left. Mm-hmm. And Hana, at one point, manages to manifest what's called the Melody Sword. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a big old sword. Mm-hmm. And she goes to cut down Charlite. And immediately before she can do it, she sees a vision of him and how terrified he is. Mm-hmm. And she essentially like moves her hand away and says, no, that's not what I want. I don't mm-hmm. want to do this. Yeah. She says, this is not the pretty cure I want to be. Charlie starts shrinking down and getting to a point where, you know, he's human enough that Hana can come up behind him and start hugging him. Yeah. And telling him that things are going to be okay. And I actually don't remember when this happened, but they did have that conversation with one of the band members. And they were talking about how music is a bunch of people coming together to form a wonderful song, right? Mm-hmm. What winds up happening is that the sword instead becomes like a conductor's baton. Mm-hmm. And instead of there just being one melody sword, it becomes three. So that we get three different kinds of uh, instruments. So Komare gets the flute and Saya gets the harp. Yeah. So... Instead of it becoming this big, like, oh, I'm going to slash this Oshimaida up, 
it becomes this song that teaches him that he does have a future after all. Yeah. The part that really, really affected me so much was Hana throwing the sword away and being mm -hmm. like, this is not the pretty cure I want to be, which is a thing that you'll see throughout the whole series is Hana saying, this is not the Nonohana I want to be. This is not the pretty cure I want to be. This is not the weapon I want to have. It's basically her saying like, I know what I want to do and it's not this. Yeah, I think it's very nice. Like in general, again, you know, it's the whole theme of the season, you know, embracing your enemies instead of like cutting them down. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was very uh, moving to see that like the melody sword becoming this whole other thing. And it was still a very exciting, like kind of new finishing move with all the girls together. Yeah. Yeah, and like even the the way that like villains are um, defeated in this season, they're accepting embrace. Like it's very sweet. <laughs> yeah, even yeah. towards the end when we get like our cheerful style and all of those, mm -hmm. the attacks literally become a giant woman who goes and hugs the monster of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Like, all right, this is a job for someone bigger. <laughs> We're not big enough to hug these guys. Yeah. It's a really cute um, way to, I guess, defeat the villains. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the crossover episodes just for a little bit. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did not know this was going to happen when I was watching this season, but I was very happy when it did because... So it's episodes 36 and 37. Um, this is, you know, Dr. Yes. Traum, who kind of seems to work through uh, both space and time. And we had at this point also already met the Tariwa Precure. Cure Black and Cure White had also been brought to their world by Hagutan's power. Mm -hmm. This particular universe, you can have every Precure and that's exactly what happens. Yep. Yeah, so it was like this super, super huge move, and it was really epic and really interesting because they really got absolutely everyone back as much as they could. Uh, there, I know that we haven't talked about Mahot Sky Precure yet on the podcast, but there's like some kind of copyright issue with Kyor Mohurin, so yes. she cannot appear in the actual series, but we see like her leg or something. Like she kind of also <laughs> yeah. appears. <laughs> It's the most they could do. Yeah, they managed to do a little something. So it's like, no, we didn't forget. She's here. <laughs> it was just such an epic episode. And even, you know, some of the other villains come back as well. So it was just like very, very big. But uh, what do you think about these episodes? Oh, my goodness. I freaked out. I completely freaked out. I was not super expecting them to get everybody in. Mm -hmm. But when I did see it, like, oh my gosh. So I loved All-Stars Memories. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really, really fantastic movie. And obviously I was like super excited that Miyano Mamoru finally got a role in Pretty Cure. But <laughs> something that I was really, really happy with is that in the crossover episodes, we got to see a lot more of everybody's personality shine through. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the big things that I was really happy with is the matchups, the teams that they kind of chose to work together. So they had, like, yeah. the Baking Cures, and they had the Sixth Rangers. They had the more aloof characters working together. Really just loved it. I absolutely loved it. 
Yeah, it was like so much. And as someone who still has not watched every season of Precure, I was still able to kind of figure out the connections and like kind of like piece together the personalities of the characters a lot more. And one thing I also really liked is that at the end of both of these episodes, they like kind of introduced the characters after the episode. Yes. And the way that was, you know, obviously for the kids watching, like, who are these characters? I don't know them. (laughs) I wasn't alive for this right that was a very interesting thing to help them to get into those characters as well seeing a character is very different from knowing they exist like once you actually see them then it's like oh I want to know more about this one and this one she's cute what's going on here you know stuff like that so exactly yeah it was just a great way to celebrate the anniversary I think like I said the team-ups were really really nice I really loved the way that they did that But like you were mentioning before earlier, I loved that we got to see some side characters too. Like, I am always a big fan of seeing more Boombi. Boombi is just (laughs) so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, getting to see him in there was pretty surprising. We also Mm -hmm. got to see, like, Cure Sunset and Cure Wave at one point, I think. Yeah. There was Cure Pecodine and Cure... uh, There was, I think, Royal Candy was there as well. Like, it was really everyone. They acknowledged Cure Windy and Cure Bright. Yeah. I was like, yes, you finally did it. I missed you guys so much. (laughs) It's going to be very interesting when we talk about Splash Star on the podcast, because it's just like such a weirdly forgotten season. And it's so sad. It's one of my absolute favorites, too. And it's just so horribly forgotten. Mm -hmm. So uh, underrated. Just a great, (laughs) great season. Yeah, I'm looking forward to revisiting it for sure, because that was my first Precure. That's so good. Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about episode 41. This is the episode where Emidu finally realizes that when everything is all over, that uh, Lulu is going to go away. (sighs) Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) That episode is so deeply heartbreaking. Hmm. Obviously, like, Emidu's face is, like, the best part of the episode. (laughs) That their little cat face when she's trying to pretend everything's okay. Mm -hmm. But really, it was such an important message to kids, I feel. Mm -hmm. Because, essentially, she loses her voice entirely because she's hurt so badly about the fact that she knows she's going to have to say goodbye to Lulu when everything's said and done. Mm -hmm. And she's unable to come to terms with herself as well as she can't really voice to Lulu that she doesn't want her to go. Yeah. Because she feels like she does need to just let it happen because that's what a mature woman would do is just let her go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like... I mean, this is obviously something that happens with every season of Precure because every season of Precure ends with like, oh, everything is all good. You know, the bad guy's been defeated. So it's time for us to part ways and go on to our regular lives. But it's always very painful. But yeah, I thought that this particular way that they handled this one is like, it was very well done. Yeah. Yeah. Very heartbreaking. It did remind me a little bit of some of the Smile Pretty Cure episodes, like when oh, yeah. we thought that Neka was going to be studying overseas. Mm-hmm. Because that that also did have the whole team kind of being like, we can't tell her that we don't want her to go because that'd be selfish. Yes. 
like it's not like uniquely Japanese, but it's like such a Japanese problem. <laughs> to sure, me. sure. Yeah. It's like, yeah, everyone understands that like they can't be selfish, but that doesn't stop them from having these feelings. And especially I think with kids, they have to learn to accept those um, feelings as being valid and, you know, something that needs to be like brought up. So, yes, absolutely. It was a very important thing. And something that I have really loved about Pretty Cure throughout the years is that it has never really shied away from discussing more difficult topics Mm -hmm. and I don't mean like oh look at how mature this series is it gets so dark I mean it doesn't shy away from doing these difficult topics because there are some things that need to be discussed with kids in kid-friendly ways yeah this episode really exemplified that it really exemplified hey this is something that really sucks but it's probably going to happen at least once in your life. Like, obviously, your friend's not going to go to the future or anything. But <laughs> you are going to run into a situation where you have to say goodbye to someone you don't want to say goodbye to. Right. And this episode did a really good job of being like, you don't have to bottle it up. You can tell people that you're going to miss them. It's not selfish to say that you're going to miss them. And you're not going to guilt someone by saying, I don't want you to go. Yeah, it's very interesting because like it's definitely something that is kind of parallel to the motivations of even the villains. Like everyone has been going through some kind of loss, basically. So, you know, when we see that, I guess the good guys, right, our heroes are doing the same thing, you know, they're going through the same kind of pain. It's really how those things get handled that makes the difference between the heroes and the villains. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about the finales, <laughs> the finale oh, episodes. Good. Yeah. So this is like, I mean, we kind of already talked a little bit about spoilery things, but yeah, just getting into like the, I guess the depths of it. <laughs> if you haven't watched the series, it's really exciting to watch this part. I think um, if you go in without knowing what's going to happen, because that's what happened to me. And I was like, oh my goodness, it was really <laughs> exciting so yeah the final battle like i said the villains generally were all kind of getting you know saved brought back to the side of light like getting their hope back more or less so the last one left is george our big bad i think by this point it's kind of clear that whatever happened to him in the past is connected to hana but again the series itself doesn't actually explain exactly what happened but we understand over time that you know, that they were married in the future and something terrible happened to her and he lost her. Like you said, like this kind of loss of such an important person would be traumatizing to anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. And he is just refusing to accept that there's a possibility of a better future. In terms of how time works in this series, it's not really expressed exactly, but we do get like one tiny shot of present day George (laughs) yeah which is interesting so we don't know how it's resolved exactly in that way but yeah I think one of the reasons that they did keep it vague is because the whole interesting part about how we do the time skip is that it essentially showed that that future that they were so afraid of didn't even have to come that Mm -hmm. they could change that future and make it into something better something that was 
a little brighter than mm -hmm. what was about to happen because that was a very very bleak future for everybody involved yeah there's you know so many possibilities for the future nothing is written in stone basically is what the show is trying to say yes the final battle is very heartbreaking because it goes through like you know he basically swallows up um Hagutan and of course it's like when you think about who everyone is in relation to each other it's like so Hagutan is has been revealed to be Cure Tomorrow, a pretty cure of the future. She is very much literally a representation of the future, but she's also, uh, spoiler alert, the actual child of George and Hana. Yes. So it's like his despair is so big that it's literally swallowing up the future, his direct future in his own child. It's very sad to think of it that way. It's like so heartbreaking, but yeah. Especially if you consider, like, even before Hagatan came back from the future, I cannot imagine how much pain she must have been in. Mm -hmm. Because it was her dad who was causing all of this. Yeah. And her dad was essentially the one who had frozen her friends. And the kind of pain that would have caused George to do that, and the kind of pain that it must have caused Hagatan is just really, really heartbreaking to think about. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, we've seen how that has happened in the past, like with Sweet Precure, for example. Yes. We know how painful that is, but we don't get to really experience her feelings because Hagutan remains a baby for the whole series. <laughs> we never really get like her actual side of things, if that makes sense. So that was like yeah. the only thing that was a little disappointing about this season is I would have loved to see more about showing what happened in the future with us actually hearing from her if that makes sense yeah i definitely felt the same way i really wish we could have seen more about hagutan's future yeah but still it was a you know a very moving final battle like many seasons of precure there is a final battle and it's like you gotta do one more thing to like really level up everyone and the way that it's handled this particular season was so beautiful to me because I mean I always cry at finales anyway but it's basically the power that Kyorgel has really kind of goes through to everyone because it's not every season of Precure but there are many seasons of Precure where by the end everyone that we've met throughout the whole season has to be involved in cheering on the Precure in their final battle um, but in this season it's kind of bumped up to the next level where everyone who cheers on the Precure be also become Precure temporarily. And I thought that was like so beautiful. It was definitely just so wonderful. I loved all of their Cure designs, especially Dr. Traum having his like mecha design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like, they really did put in the effort to make everyone into a distinct Precure, even if it was just for five seconds. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting because also, like I said before, Kiraphani transforms before everyone else would suggest that he could have transformed the whole time. Like he could have been helping it the whole time. <laughs> and he was just not, he was just not helping the Precure. It's like, it's not my job. It's fine. I'm not the hero here. He's like, you guys got a handle. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really cool to see absolutely everyone becoming Precure, even if it's just for a moment. And everyone comes together to do this final attack, like you said, the super mega giant hug. <laughs> um, so it's just like the super giant hug that is literally from everyone hugging George. 
to bring him back. And then, you know, Hana, I can't remember. No, she's she's still transformed as Kiryu, but yeah, Hana does go and is the last one to say goodbye to George before he goes back to his time. It's a very moving scene for sure. And I, I was like screaming. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to happen at all. <laughs> yeah, so that was a fun surprise. Just personally speaking, I think that that muscle grandma could have taken George on on her own. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, that was incredible. <laughs> it was so fun to see that happen, to see absolutely everyone becoming pre-cured. And then, of course, like you said, you know, Masato and uh, Henri have a moment as well at the <laughs> end. It <laughs> <laughs> was so good! Yeah. So it's just like very beautiful all around and very exciting. And it's also not just like the actual characters, like that kind of rule would extend out to the audience, you know, the viewers of Precure. So anyone who is cheering on the Precure can also become Precure themselves is the kind of message that's being given, which I think is really great. I definitely remember sending a screen cap of Hana saying that you're all pretty cure. And I remember posting, like, a gif of Brian Cranston just pointing to himself, like, me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's really great. Yeah. Absolutely everyone is pre-cure, we promise. It's, uh... That's me. I'm pretty cured, too. Yeah. <laughs> I immediately was thinking about what it must have felt like for all the kids watching that episode as well at that time. Do you want to talk about, like, the very end, the last episode uh, as they're in the future oh so the last episode was really sorry i did like the big sigh because it makes me sad <laughs> parts of it make me sad other parts i thought was really really incredible mm -hmm. i am still so impressed that they decided to have hana be both the ceo of her company and have her kid mm-hmm Mainly because I know that attitudes, no matter where you are, but I know in Japan as well as in America, it's getting less like this in America, and I'm hoping that it's getting less like this in Japan as well. well I hope so, too. <laughs> but I know that there is still this pervasive attitude of, like, you are less of a mom if you, you decide to keep working instead of being with your baby. Yeah. So Hana, I don't want to talk about, like, kind of, like, oh geez, I can't believe she did this. But having Hana decide to continue going to work even when she was so heavily pregnant that her water broke at the company. Yeah. I thought it was a, a really, really great message. Not that she was working until her water broke. It was a very good message that she was the CEO of the company and she still was spending time with her kid. Yeah. That was a fantastic message to show that this is the hero of the show. And she is doing this thing that people think is like, oh, well, she's less of a mom for doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of societal pressure. Like once someone gets pregnant to like actually just stop working or at all or mm -hmm. whatever. And she's like, uh, no, like we don't really know the details of I think it's supposed to be like a fashion company or something. Yeah, we just know that she's a CEO. Yeah, she's a CEO. And that's really cool. Masato is also working there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> He's so strict with her. It's very funny. She's the top uh, dog and it's really cool. I think it's really nice to see just like that possibility also. It's something yes. like you said, 
kind of part of the theme of this season is uh, different jobs. And so there's like this kind of recurring thing where they're trying out different jobs. And the first ending theme song also just has them talking about different possible things you could want to be in the future. And one of those options was, uh, yeah, CEO. (laughs) It was interesting to see like, oh yeah, no, that can be a possibility. Like, and it's this model for, for women for girls, you know, to say, yeah, you could do that too, you know, so I think it's great. It was really good. I was really, really happy with the way that they ended it. I loved that they did it very Mm open-ended. We don't necessarily know everything that happened in the future. Like we mentioned before, we don't know if George is the father because we do see George, but we don't know if he's actually the father or not Um, because they show someone rushing to the hospital, but they don't show his face. (laughs) <laughs> right. I also really enjoyed Emidu meeting with, with oh, yes. baby Lulu again. Mm-hmm. Obviously not like actual baby, but young Lulu. Yeah, yeah. She has become a bit of a rock star on her own. And so she has commissioned the creation of this android from Dr. Traum. And he's like, it's just so sweet because you see all the a lot of the other characters uh, grown up and everything. So it was really fun. Like, you know, it's something that not every season gets to do, like an episode of Where Are They Now, like in the future. Mm-hmm. But when they do, it's always so fun to see. <laughs> yeah. I am such a sucker for future episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, where are they now? Like, oh, it's so yeah. cute. <laughs> yeah. I love those as well. Not just for Precare, but any Magical Girl series. You want to know what happens to them. Like, what is their future going to be like? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's nice. <laughs> hmm. um, but yeah, especially in this season, I think it was important to show that. Most definitely. I mean, with a season that's all about the future, you're going to want to show exactly what happens in the future. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like we could talk about Hog Precure forever, but is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon before we go? Yeah, as you said, I could honestly talk about this for hours and hours and hours. there's so much that I could go on about but it's theme of you know things don't have to end when things get really really bad it really touched me and part of the beauty of hug pretty care in the end they do address this is that a lot of magical girl series do tend to still have that message of like hope versus despair Mm -hmm. but a lot of times they do kind of just show it with kids. Right. And with Hug Pretty Cure, they do that with adults as well. And they do bring up several times, well, you're adults, so you've already made your decisions. And so you don't have a future. Mm-hmm. But they fight back against that. And they're like, yes, we do. Yeah. We, like, just because we're older doesn't mean that we have to give that up. Right. We even have Traum who, you know, he's got gray hairs and everything. He's definitely the oldest of the group. And he's like, yes, there is still a future. There's a reason for me to keep living. Yeah, exactly. It just, everything about the show just really struck me. But that in particular, just like, ah, my heart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, like you said, even from the beginning with like Charlie being the first member of Cryos to like become uh, an Oshimaida, And the reasons why it's like his reasons are very much like something that a lot of adults can understand. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. And I feel like especially in Japan, it's like a big problem where people really feel like 
if they cannot succeed well at their company, that they are a failure. And if they give up, it's like they have to really give up. So yeah, it's a big problem. And it's really great to see that even in the context of this show for children, like it's very relatable for adults, I think. They definitely threw in, like, Pretty Cure has always done things where they do throw in messages for the moms and dads watching at home, too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of those messages from the villains, as well as uh, the side characters, were definitely targeted at the adults who are watching it as well. Like, the whole episode with Saya discovering that she wanted to be, um, what's the word, obstetrician? Yeah. It had a message that kids were very easily able to understand which is my mom's gonna have another baby and I think she's gonna love me less Mm -hmm. but then they have the message that was for the adults as well where it was I'm gonna have a c-section and I feel like that means I'm a failure as a mother Mm -hmm. which I don't think that the kids who are watching are really gonna necessarily understand the significance of that right but the adults at home definitely understood, like, oh, yes, this is a problem that a lot of people run into, mm-hmm. where they feel like, oh, well, I need to give a natural birth, or else it means that blah, blah, blah. It's just very stupid. The feelings are not stupid, but, like, the stupid societal pressures mm-hmm. that a lot of mothers may feel at some point. Yeah, and that's especially the case in Japan. You know, there are blogs and stuff, I'll probably link some of the show notes about, like, the state of child's birth and maternal care in japan is like terrible (laughs) so oh geez yeah it's not great so i also wanted to point out like the relationship i mean i think that like one of the few things that is very clear from the beginning about hana is that like she wants to be a mother someday you know that's a reasonable thing for someone to have that kind of dream you know it's not like the only dream someone should have probably but it's valid as as an aspect of what someone wants in the future absolutely i loved her relationship with her own mother as like clearly being kind of an inspiration for that like she clearly has a very strong relationship with her mother and that is connected to her desire to become a mother herself Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Like we mentioned in episode 11, obviously her friends did help as well, but it's really her mom's encouragement that that helped her remember like, okay, well, you know, I I am good. I am loved. I am cared for. And I'm not a failure. Yeah, it's really great. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's everything we have to talk about today. I, again, could keep going, but let's see. Yes, we have to get to our final question, which is, Sasha, do you have a magical persona for yourself? So I've been thinking about coming up with one, but I don't necessarily have one just yet. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to come up with like, oh, this is going to be my magical persona. And I have like ideas. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, um, one of the things I love doing is singing. And so I was like, oh, well, it's got to be like a a music-based magical girl. But I've never gotten around to doing anything with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We could always use more musical, magical girls, for sure. (laughs) Most definitely. I am a sucker for every single musical, magical girl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, that's okay if you don't have one. You know, just a common question for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So thank you again for talking to me today about Hug Precure and other magical girls. Uh, Where can people find you and follow you online to talk to you more about this and other stuff? I'm mostly found on Twitter. You can find me at Sasha Lala Bell. 
yeah, you can find me there. It's pretty much like one of the only social media things that I use. So yeah, it is privated, but I will probably let you through anyway, just because I like, I like making new magical girlfriends. <laughs> yes, yes, great. And yes, thank you again for talking to me today. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you like it, and don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag SparkleSideChats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayushinos, A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Let us know if there's a topic you want covered or a fan or creator you want to hear from. Show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. You can also join the Discord for this podcast and talk about Magical Girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. Just contact me for an invite link anytime, or, if you're shy, you can get a public invite every week after the latest episode is released. If you can support the podcast financially, you can buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash with Kofi membership tiers, you can get bonus content, announcements about episode topics, and your name read aloud on the podcast. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at TwinkleParks. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you are magical. 